you work hard for what you want in life. That your word is your bond and you do what you say and keep your promise. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and that was Melania Trump intoning in a way at the Republican National Convention last night that we had all heard before, words that are almost identical to the things that Michelle Obama said in 2008 when her husband was the presumptive nominee for the Democratic the Democratic side of the presidential election that year. Uh, Huge controversy after Melania Trump's speech last night. Uh, Lots of people describing it in lots of different ways. I want to talk about this hour a lot of what is going on with that particular wrinkle in the, the Republican National Convention. Uh, We're going to have professor and chair of the Department of Communications at Wayne State University, Lee Wilkins, here to talk about rhetoric in uh, the context of rhetoric uh, around the words that Melania Trump used last night. Uh, one thing I think is super interesting is the different ways people are describing it this morning. The New York Times says striking similarities. Fox News says similarities. Wall Street Journal says used same passages. CNN says plagiarizes. Uh, We're going to talk with Lee Wilkins about the spectrum there of borrowing and words and ideas, uh, what they mean in politics, what they mean in journalism, what they mean uh, in the academic setting. Uh, I think what Melania Trump did last night raises a lot of very interesting questions. Uh, But first, we're going to talk about the first day of the Republican National Convention in broader terms. It gave us plenty to talk about today. The big news, of course, was Melania Trump, but also there was a standoff on the convention floor between the Republicans hoping to get rid of Donald Trump as the nominee and the presumptive nominee's supporters. The quick adoption of the RNC's rules effectively stomped out the never-Trump movement's hopes of finding an alternative to lead the party into November. Here again, rhetoric, I think, plays a role. If you look at the headlines in papers around the country, uh, the way they describe what happened on the floor yesterday is also uh, across a broad spectrum. Uh, Some people calling it chaos, which is an interesting word, uh, especially in the context of uh, political conventions generally. If you think back to things like what happened in 1968 in Chicago with the Democrats, does what happened yesterday measure up to the word chaos? I think that was one of the things that got discussed in a lot of newsrooms yesterday, probably around a lot of uh, kitchen and dinner tables. Joining me now to talk about what's going on in Cleveland is Sala Nuzis. He's a former Michigan Republican Party chairman, a delegate at the Republican National Convention, and he was an advisor to Senator Ted Cruz's campaign for President Saul. Welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Yeah. So let's start with uh, let's start with what happened on the floor yesterday, which of course got lots of attention and coverage. Uh, there was a lot of confusion, I thought, on the part of people who were not there, uh, trying to make sense of what was actually happening and what the result was. I'm assuming that uh, that you were in the in the chamber for that uh, for that brouhaha. Tell us tell us what it was like and and what was really going on. Well, I, I think, first of all, I think that your, your 
kind of putting this in a very good context because I think there's a tremendous amount of confusion what actually happens and the words that the press and the media and others are using are somewhat deceptive and and I understand everybody likes the kind of the sensationalism helps drive listeners and readers and and that but at the same time I think sometimes they they get lost as to what's really happening behind the scenes here uh this was a little more simple than a dump trump movement this had nothing to do with uh, freeing the delegates or having an alternative to Donald Trump. Rather, this was kind of a conservative grassroots uh, on the floor, which are represented in many of the state delegations across the country, but are not part of the establishment that wanted to have two basic sets of rules changes that were not debated in the rules committee or it were debated but shut down in the rules committee. And the delegates on the floor at least wanted to have a second chance at trying to discuss some of these. One set dealt with RNC governance, uh, how the RNC rules, what powers they have, what kind of influence they have over the process nationwide. And the other one had to do with primaries. Do we close primaries, make sure Republicans nominate Republicans, and limit the influence that Democrats and independents had? And so what happened on the floor is procedurally what happens is in order to challenge and to call for a roll call vote, you have to have a majority of seven states sign a petition. So it's kind of like how you do it rather than doing it from the floor, which would obviously be very difficult with thousands of people there yelling and screaming. You have a written process. Uh, The people who wanted to challenge it had nine states with the majority of delegates from nine states turn in petitions. And before the petitions were recognized, so to speak, from the from the dais, uh, the whips for both the RNC and the Trump campaign ran around and were able to pull off the signatures from three of the states, bringing it down to six states, which is insufficient. You needed seven to get the question uh, voted on the floor, and so it was brought down and, and a roll call vote was denied. And that's where it kind of broke out, where a lot of the delegates started booing and yelling roll call and chanting roll call and try to get recognized from the floor. And that process doesn't really work, so people were, you know, it's not how it's set up to work. So, you know, it was kind of uncomfortable up at the dais and on the floor. Everybody was kind of upset that, you know, the grassroots were once again being ignored and didn't have a chance to speak. So yeah. I think for those of us who wanted to see reform or at least have an open discussion, it was very frustrating. Um, you know, I think that the Trump campaign in particular is now in the, in, you know, in the process of making this a, you know, a show for kicking off the campaign. They want to limit the debate. They want to limit the controversy. So they determined that this was at least the shortest way they could do that, and I think that's why they did it, while a lot of people, I think, on the floor and a lot of the delegates and activists from around the country were kind of upset and frustrated. Well, I mean, I think upset is maybe even an understatement. I I saw interviews with delegates from a couple of different states who who talked about this as uh, analogous to a brown shirt rally. I mean, that's pretty strong language to describe what was going on. I mean, they they felt uh, stomped on. They felt pushed out of the process. Yeah, there's no doubt. Look, I mean, it was very, it was hardball politics down there. I mean, uh, people were being, you know, harassed on the floor to rescind their request for a roll call vote. Um, it was very uh, intense. There must have been 50 people uh, just around Michigan and Michigan and Arizona and Utah sat together. And Utah was kind of a lead with Senator Lee on uh, the rules questions. That they're, they're the state that actually made the motion uh, from the floor. And there had to be 50 Trump. Um, you know, whips on the floor. They're working the delegation over, asking them to pull off, stop doing this, don't do this. 
Um, and I think, you know, and it, and it got very heated. I mean, again, there was a lot of confusion because a lot of people thought it was a dump Trump provision or a dump Trump move, which actually isn't true. But that's how it was played up. And so because a lot of the people who were in the anti-Trump movement were part of this, because that's what kind of came from the conservative side of the party. Uh, so you got a lot of emotions because a lot of the pro-Trump people were trying to drown up the others by saying, you know, Trump, Trump or whatever, you know, USA and doing different um, things. So there was a lot of confusion on the floor, um, which by nature happens when you got so many people running around doing that. And when it's not that clear, when you have rules that, you know, have kind of very structured ways of presenting things, there's not an open debate. So oftentimes delegates are confused as to exactly what's happening on the floor, even though they knew this was about the rules and this was about you know, having conservatives have their voices heard. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Saul Anuzis. He's the former Michigan Republican Party chairman, a delegate at this year's Republican National Convention, and was an advisor to Senator Ted Cruz's uh, campaign for president. We're talking about what happened on the first day of the Republican National Convention in Cleveland. Lots of news, lots of excitement over a few things, and certainly a lot of attention now on Melania Trump's speech to the convention. Uh, lines from that speech seem to be drawn almost directly from lines that Michelle Obama delivered to the Democratic convention in 2008 uh, ahead of her her husband's uh, nomination for president. Uh, we're joined now also by Lee Wilkins. She's a professor and chair of the Department of Communications at Wayne State University. Lee, I want to welcome you to Detroit today. Thank you, Stephen. Good morning. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to join the conversation, conversation, uh, give us a call, 313-577-1019. Did you watch the Republican National Convention yesterday? Did you see uh, the fight on the floor, the argument on the floor over the rules, uh, the way that was handled? What did you think of the way that was handled? Did you feel like this was uh, the last gasp, for perhaps, for uh, the, those who would like to nominate someone other than Donald Trump? And did you watch Melania Trump's speech last night and hear what she said, compared it to every as everyone is doing, to what Michelle Obama said in 2008. What do you think about that? Is it okay, for instance, to borrow ideas from other people? We all, of course, do that. Or did this cross the line to outright plagiarism, uh, the stealing of ideas of someone else uh, under the guise of it being your own? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. 313-577-1019. Lee Wilkins, I want to give you a crack at uh, talking about what Melania Trump did and the reason I asked you into the the studio this morning is twofold. Uh, one is uh, I know you're an academic, uh, and this comes up in the academic setting uh, frequently. There are very uh, there are very strict rules about uh, the, the the way students and 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 professors and and researchers are allowed to use other other people's ideas. Uh, but the other reason uh, I wanted to, to ask you in is is the the, the question of rhetoric, and I think uh, the way that we use words and ideas. I think uh, in a broader sense, even than academia, uh, is something that we talk about maybe not enough, uh, the, the, the way that we expect uh, people to respect our ideas and not steal from them, uh, but then also expect that uh, our ideas may inspire other people uh, to say things. So, so let me get your reaction first to, to, to what Melania Trump said and how closely it compares to Michelle Obama. 
So, Stephen, since you brought up the academy, I'm going to start with the way I began to explain this to students. Uh There are 88 keys on a piano keyboard. Same 88 keys Mm -hmm. that everybody sits down on, whether you're playing chopsticks or Mozart. What is distinctive about that is whether you are playing chopsticks or Mozart with those 88 keys. So the 88 keys are an idea. What Mozart did with those 88 keys is copyrightable not anymore because he's very dead <laughs> but it but there it's it's copyrightable it's reproducible and so when i steal what mozart did um, then I need to attribute it to Mozart, um, no less a much beloved uh, band than um, uh, than some of some of my favorite of, of my era rockers, Led Zeppelin, just got hauled into court in the last month sure. uh, over whether or not uh, some of the notes in some of their songs were stolen from other less popular bands. So the notion is here: you cannot copyright an idea. Ideas are common currency for all of us. But the way an idea is expressed, the words, the notes, the order of notes, all of those sorts of things, those things are copyrightable. So the standard in the academy and the standard for journalism is really the same. Say, the, <laughs> we, in that way, operate in the same space. We right? operate in exactly the same space. So if I say Stephen Henderson said, and I put quotation marks around that, then it needs to be precisely what you said. Right. If I say Stephen Henderson said, and I paraphrase what you say, I may use some of your words, probably not very many. I may use a lot of my words, but the distinction is when I get done paraphrasing you, if someone else were to read it, it needs to express the same thought that you that were expressing, yeah. okay? So you got direct quote, paraphrase, idea, copyright, all right? Having set down that. Uh What Melania Trump did, if a student had done that for me, and if I were smart enough to know what Michelle Obama did, that student would be facing a very unpleasant conversation with his his or her professor (laughs) about the notion of plagiarism and what it's legitimate to take from someone else without citing them. Yeah. Uh, and so that's the word, that's the word you would use here. I mean, this, this is the realm that you feel like this is in is plagiarism. I do, um, in part because I write books, so I know that Congress has actually passed laws that say that if I use more than 100 words from another source, not only can I not use word number 101, (laughs) but I absolutely have to cite that source, and in most cases, I have to get their permission. Right, right. Uh, Sala News, this former Michigan Republican Party chairman and delegate at the RNC, talk about what you... Uh, think uh, Melania Trump was doing here, and whether whether it's it struck you as odd or inappropriate. See, I, I, here's where I respectfully disagree. I think in politics, part of the problem is is that first of all, you know, uh, Obama's speech wasn't copyrighted, and Melania's speech isn't copyrighted. I mean, these were speeches given in a political environment. And I think that people use phrases and terms and terminology from one another all the time because we tend to talk about the same things that appeal to the same, uh, you know, general voting public. So, you know, I, I think I, I get, you know, I think I wish the speechwriters would have been a little more uh, deliberate with regards to doing that. I'm assuming uh, the speechwriters uh, probably pulled this from Michelle Obama's. Uh, speech and they read it and saw it and used the terms and said, boy, these really fit and this was a good way of saying it and changed it around just a little bit 
to try to make her own, but clearly not enough to differentiate from it. But I, you know, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal because everyone likes to talk about it. But the reality is, she delivered a good speech. It was important for kind of delegates in America to kind of see what who she was and what she was going to say. So unfortunately, this becomes probably an unnecessary distraction. Um, I think it was, again, I think it was a mistake from the campaign standpoint. I mean, I don't know who wrote the speech, but I'm sure they're having as bad of a day as... Uh, well, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I would think that this would be a, this would be a firing offense in a newsroom, uh, as uh, as Lee brought up. There's no question that, that this would be this would be in the realm of extreme discipline. I mean, uh, oh, sure. if you did it, you, can't, you, you simply can't do it. Well, I mean, it's even, see, it's even worse in politics. This is, this is one of those things that is a, a massive political mistake. And so therefore, what you're having is a huge distraction from a night that should have been a great night for the Trump campaign, for Melania, and for everybody who was interested in it. So instead of talking about the messages that she tried to deliver with regards to who Donald Trump is and what kind of family they have, and what kind of vision they potentially have for America, we're spending all of our time talking about did she plagiarize, how many words did she plagiarize, (laughs) how did she reword it, and could it have been done differently. So if you're the staff guy who wrote that, um, I don't know what your students would have gone through, but let me tell you, this this guy or woman who did this is not having a good day today. Right, right. Let's uh, go to the phones here. Alex in Sterling Heights. Alex, welcome to Detroit Today. Yes, sir. Good morning, Steve. Go ahead. I think it's very funny, and what I witnessed yesterday was the first time in this whole Trump train that I felt like he was, one, getting good advice, and two, listening to the advice. And I'm going to even go so far as that I think there was some intent, and I think the word plagiarize is a little harsh, because if you look at what she said and what Michelle said, was any of that original intellectual property? I mean, I think it's funny we brought up Mozart. I can go out and play the song. I can go out and play the song "Happy Birthday." It's no longer protected. That that sure. you know, it's no right. longer original. It's traditional. Right. That's how it's cited in music. So you would say that this is these. She was sounding sort of familiar notes that uh, across time, in your mind, have lost the ability to be sort of attributed to a specific person. Correct, because I don't think what Michelle, and I love, look, I'm bleeding heart liberal all the way, and I watch (laughs) it for the sheer entertainment. Uh, I really think what Michelle said wasn't all that original to begin with, and she's not a journalist. Neither of them is getting paid for it. So I think, again, it kind of lowers the standard of that's an interesting, what we're going to call plagiarism. Uh, that's, a really interesting, that's a really interesting take on it, Alex. Thanks very much uh, for calling in. Lee Wilkins, go ahead. Um, a couple of things. So I have I've not met the gentleman from the Republican Party, and so I, I don't mean to pick a fight. She said picking a fight. Uh, <laughs> but just in case any of my students are listening to this, I want to be very clear. Um, this, whether or not... Uh, you say this orally or you say it in writing, plagiarism applies. It doesn't matter whether you're paid for it. The law is the same. The standards are the same. Students, please hear me on this. <laughs> um, going back to the other, I think this is a this is a an interesting comment because the kinds of themes that both women spoke to, I think, are very common they themes. Are. Yes. And I, I think you could go back to 
um, okay, so now I'm going to really give myself away. I, I don't remember the 1960 presidential convention, but I do remember 64 and 68. And these are the kinds of themes that have been historically expressed at least since the early 1960s. Sure. Um, so I, I think that the, the caller is exactly correct that, you know, these are common things that we talk about. These are ways that all of us, regardless of political affiliation, try to humanize candidates. Where I will disagree is to say there are ways to humanize the candidates where you can use your own words. And in fact, I would argue that your own words are probably the most powerful. Um, Where I do want to cut Melania Trump a little bit of slack, not much, is that English is not her cradle tongue. Sure, She was raised in another culture. She was educated in a culture that was just basically recovering from Soviet-style education, even though Slovenia was part of the former Yugoslavia. Uh So her early training may not have included the kind of emphasis that we would in Western European and in the U.S. Having said all of that, I don't believe her speech writers fit the same kind of demographic and ethnographic categories. They should have known better. They did not do her a service. And Stephen, like you, I've seen people fired over this sort of thing. I failed students over this sort of thing. It's not okay. I mean, the other thing I would emphasize is it's not an accident. There's not a coincidence that uh, the same words in the same order, the same ideas in the same order appear uh, in speeches given in the same context. I mean, that's one of the things that, that I always sort of marvel at is that people say, well, it wasn't done intentionally. Of course it was. There's no, As a writer, uh, you know when you are using your own words and you know when you're using somebody else's and you know the difference between uh, expressing your own ideas and quoting somebody else. And when you take somebody else's ideas... Uh, it's clear to you that they're in that they're in your work. Um, uh, Sala Nuzis, uh, former Michigan Republican Party chair, uh, I want to ask you about the platform too. Uh, I know that uh, you guys were were working on that uh, yesterday. Talk about it has been described as one of the most sort of right wing and intolerant uh, platforms in the history of the Republican Party, particularly when it comes to LGBT issues. Uh, talk about where where you see that coming down. Well, I, I think it was a conservative platform. I don't think it's intolerant. I just think it expressed the positions that a lot of people have on different issues. Um, I think that the whole point of kind of where Republicans are on many of these issues is tolerance. I mean, they they may not be advocating in favor of positions they don't agree with, but it doesn't make them intolerant. It just has a different perspective. And I think, obviously, again, this is politics, rhetoric matters, how people say it, where they say it. Um, you know, I've oftentimes had, have had interviews and talked about um, gay rights and gay marriage and what it means and what does that mean from a Republican perspective and who is tolerant and not tolerant of where they're at. I mean, I, I think you can be for traditional marriage and have beliefs in traditional things and yet be tolerant of the fact that other people are going to have different opinions and different ideas, uh, but doesn't mean that you have to you know, uh, express them or promote them or give them credence because that's kind of not what politics is all about. It's not what we try to do. So, um, and do you I think, guess I would. Do you think what's in uh, the platform is expressed in an intolerant way? Um, you know, I'd have to I'd have to read the lines that somebody is really worried about, and I'm not exactly sure of it. But I know we have done a lot of work trying to add language that shows that there is. 
uh, tolerance with regards to things that we disagree with. I mean, we realize that everybody, just like the Democratic platform, is going to agree with 100% of everything written there, nor do they agree with how it's <laughs> of written course there. Not. That's and right. so, so the whole point is what you try to do is put your kind of platform, your positions forward in a way that motivate and attract your voters, while at the same time, I have, I think tolerance is a very important word and a very important concept. Uh, that especially those of us who are conservative and oftentimes get demonized by many in the, you know, media or the left wing, you know, in the left from the left perspective, etc. Yeah. I think it's an extremely important concept and word that we try to incorporate and use. Um, you know, I, I can tell you, I you know, from my perspective, ninety uh-huh. percent. Uh, because there are always those who aren't, are tolerant with regards to people who disagree with them on other issues. There are other people who are passionately, um, uh, you know, opposed to these issues and believe it's, you know, a great sin, in some cases should be completely illegal, et cetera, et cetera. But that's a small minority. And so I think we're, we're expressing the fact that we support, you know, whether it's the traditional values or limited government and less taxes and a strong defense, but yet we're tolerant and understanding that there's going to be people that disagree with us. And... That language is important to your activists because that's what motivates the people who come out and work on either side of the aisle, uh, and that's why a Bernie Sanders was as appealing as he was, and that's why Ted or Donald Trump was as appealing as he was because they were drawing to the people who are emotional and fired up about you know specific issues and and uh, believe the country needs a change of direction in one way or the other. Yeah, uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Solanuzis. He's the former Michigan Republican Party chairman, a delegate at this year's Republican National Convention, and was an advisor to Senator Ted Cruz's campaign for president this year. Uh, also, Lee Wilkins, professor and chair of the Department of Communications at Wayne State University. We're talking about the Republican National Convention the first day, lots of news uh, emerging from the convention, uh, lots of controversy about uh, the way that the rules were set uh, and the the dissent that was allowed or not allowed in that rulemaking process. Also, Melania Trump's speech uh, at the convention last night. Was it too similar to things that Michelle Obama said in uh, 2008 ahead of her husband being nominated uh, for president at at the Democratic National Convention? Was this plagiarism? Or was this just sort of a sharing of ideas uh, that is uh, pretty common and acceptable in politics and other uh, in other spheres? If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. What did you think of Melania Trump's speech? Uh, what did you think of it overall? What did you think of the lines that people are comparing to what Michelle Obama said? Uh, what did you think of the rulemaking process at the Republican National Convention yesterday? Did you think the coverage of that did it justice and really explain what was going on, or was there just uh, an attraction to flame uh, the, the 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 word chaos being used as a way to get people interested? Three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number to join us. Three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. Let's go to Minnie in Ferndale. Minnie, welcome to Detroit today. Thank you for the opportunity to speak. As a graduate of Rosary High School, our principal was an English professor. A girl copied a poem, submitted it, and won a big contest. The real author, thank God, was a Christian, and he came to the school and forgave the girl. But we were warned, don't ever copy anybody's work, because you can get in trouble with the law, you can be sued. It's a serious matter. Now, I'm not saying this lady from that other country copied word for word, but actually, she did well as far as pronunciation for being a foreigner. But at the same time, 
the root of that 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 narrative came from Mrs. Obama. Mm-hmm. Nobody can deny that. But she did well. I, I admire her courage to get up and speak for that dingbat. But have a good day. <laughs> Minnie, thank you very much for your call. Uh, Jim in Brownstown. Jim, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, how are, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. Well, if, if the media want to make a story out of repeating some inspiring words, so be it. But let's remember... Um, our current vice president, who is known to plagiarize, right, so the yeah, Democrats that's, that's don't true. have a big, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they they tolerate it pretty much unless it's a a Republican. But anyways, regarding this phone call, um, you remember when this all started and they forced Donald Trump to sign that pledge that uh, they would endorse the person, the nominee. Right. Ted Cruz is yet to come out. He still has time. And if this roll call is all about 2020, I suggest the delegate that you have on there, um, he better come out or he's going to lose a lot of votes. Uh, Kasich hasn't endorsed. Right. Kasich's um, not even at the convention in, in his own state, right? Yes. So I just want them to know. I like Ted Cruz, but they all forced Donald and it come back to bite him in the butt. And they have yet to come out and endorse him. And that word means a lot to me. That that signing that means a lot to me. That's like a handshake. Yeah. Ted Cruz doesn't come out and endorse Donald. He will never get my vote, ever. <laughs> Jim, thank you very much uh, for that call. Solid News, this uh, former Michigan Republican Party chairman and an advisor to the Senator Ted Cruz for uh, president campaign earlier this year. How do you... How do you answer Jim's criticism there? We have not seen a lot of the former uh, candidates uh, on the Republican side come out and say that they're going to back Donald Trump, even though they all said that they would uh, during the primary process. Walk us through how that how that looks from inside one of those former campaigns. Sure. I, I, I think a couple of things. Number one, every candidate has said they're going to support the nominee. And I think that there's no question, at least in my mind, that all the candidates will be behind Donald Trump as this thing moves forward. Um, this is a real tough election. I mean, we went, we had 17 candidates running across the country. Things got fairly emotional. Things got fairly intense. There were some very personal things said. And uh, I think there's always a time for healing. And that's part of the political process as well. And I think that's part of what we went through on the floor with some of these rule things. It was frustrations and things, you know, people wanted to point out. So, you know, uh, Ted Cruz is scheduled to speak on Wednesday night. Um, I don't know if he's formally going to announce or, or uh, an endorsement or not, uh, but there's no doubt in my mind that he is going to support Ted Cruz or Ted, um, Donald Trump, and I think all the other candidates are going to, you know, support uh, Donald Trump. But, you know, let's be honest, there's a whole lot of conservatives and a whole lot of people who have, you know, concerns about Donald Trump and where he came from and what his positions are. I mean, this is a guy that arguably was a populist liberal two years ago. He's a populist conservative today. And many of us are, you know, concerned about where he, you know, what kind of president he'd be in the White House. And, you know, he's taking steps to make the Republicans more comfortable. And he's going to have to make his case to the American people to make them more comfortable where he's going to be at. But, you know, when a populist runs for president, um, it creates uh, an interesting phenomenon where they bring in a lot of people who kind of get excited about where things are at, but don't necessarily have a good feeling for where they're going to end up. So, so, I mean, but as somebody who worked uh, to try to get Ted Cruz elected, would would you like to see him come out in favor of Donald Trump as a yeah, way I, of... I think, yeah, go ahead. 
Yes, I do. I mean, look, I, I, think, I think it's our job as party leaders, whether we like it or not, our job as party leaders is to unite our party and move forward in the process. You know, we're the center-right party. The Democrats are the center-left party. Both sides have coalitions, so there's specific issues that either motivate people or get people to the polls or get them going. Okay. Sometimes your candidate wins, sometimes your <laughs> candidate loses. Uh, but in the end, you kind of unite because that's the whole point. You know, I mean, our argument is Donald Trump is a heck of a lot better than Hillary Clinton. And there shouldn't even be a question whether, you know, anybody who's a Republican or a conservative uh, or even kind of in the middle will sit there and say, hey, I think Donald Trump will do more to shake things up and make change in Washington. You're going to have the quintessential establishment person running against the, against the quintessential outsider. And I think in the end, that's kind of where this race is going to end up. So I believe those on the center-right side uh, of the political spectrum will rally, uh, will endorse, will support. And there may be a couple people who, you know, don't, but I think that's going to be a small minority. And, and I hope and I expect Ted Cruz, who for all practical purposes, purposes is the de facto leader of the conservative movement now in America, sure. uh, will be there. And uh, let me just say one comment about Mimi, just so it, uh, her comment. Yeah. Uh, just to be clear, uh, Malaya is an immigrant um, and is an American citizen who yeah. legally got her citizenship and is very proud of being an American. So, um yeah, but I mean, I think is, her point. Right. I think her point was this is somebody who well, grew up yeah, in another country speaking as, another yeah, language. A foreigner, yeah. Right. I mean, she's a, she's an immigrant. As I happen to be an immigrant. You know, my family's all an immigrant from Lithuania. I didn't learn to speak English. I was seven years old, and some people say I don't speak very well now. But we get away with it, right? And other people are more current and maybe not as articulate. So, but she's right. an American. Yeah, that, that's true. Illegally, if we could illegally, get if we could okay. get everybody at the Republican convention to say the same thing about uh, Barack Obama, I would be really elated. So, well, I, I think they. I think I'm they, just yeah, teasing think, you. I'm just teasing you. No, I think they do say the same thing about Barack Obama. It's just you know the the thing they say is not necessarily what you want to hear. Well, uh, I mean, if we could go to the speech last night where we claim he's absolutely a Muslim uh, on the floor of the Republican National Convention. That's not something we see uh, all the time at, at, uh, at political conventions. So yeah, I, 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 I am, I am mostly ribbing you, but, but there's a, That's okay. a I'm, scintilla I of truth. Call him a Muslim, <laughs> all right. Uh, Sala Nuzis, a former Michigan Republican Party chairman, delegate at the RNC, and an advisor to the Senator Ted Cruz for our president campaign. As always, thanks very much for being here on Detroit Today. Great to be with you. Uh, Lee Wilkins, uh, also, thanks for you being here. And if you can stick around, we'll keep you. If not, uh, we'll see you another time because uh, we have lots of phone calls about Melania Trump's speech and the Republican National Convention. We're going to continue that conversation next with Bill Schuette, the Attorney General of the state of Michigan. Stay with us and stay on the phones with Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for tuning in. My guest is Lee Wilkins. She's the professor and chair of the Department of Communications at Wayne State University. We're talking about the Republican National Convention yesterday, and particularly about Melania Trump's speech, the similarities between what she said and what Michelle Obama said eight years ago uh, in the, at the Democratic National Convention that uh, nominated her husband. For president, you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number. Uh, Tim in Northville. Tim, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, yes, sir. Thanks. Uh, I'll, I'll make it kind of quick. I'm, I'm truly no big Donald Trump fan, and 
but I just wanted to ask the professor of communications if uh, FDR attributed this statement, I have, you have nothing to fear but fear itself to a soapbox, uh, which was where that originally Is occurred. that right? That was, that was a phrase that was used on a soapbox? It was, a, it was actually that. from a, an ad campaign. Oh, wow. Yep. Well, uh, good question. Uh, Lee Wilkins, uh, was was FDR a, a cribber as well? <laughs> um, he may have been. This is the first I've heard that that particular phrase, yeah, I heard that which either. I've always thought was uh, original with him, uh, was part of an ad campaign. We get interesting things from interesting places. Um, our attorney generals uh, quoted the, the phrase, a shining city on the hill, right. and originated it with Ronald Reagan, who cribbed it from St. Augustine in a book that's right. more than a thousand years old, <laughs> right. but St. Augustine is really dead and also writing in Latin, so I don't think he's going to sue anybody. Right. Um, but it's, I mean, it's interesting where these things initiate from yeah. and then how they sort of travel down to us through culture. Right. And, and the truth is we all borrow from each other. I mean, anyone who's a writer or a composer or uh, any sort of creative, I mean, there are, the inspiration is the basis on which you create, and so uh, there is overlap and crossover with uh, with words and images and 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 sound, and that's okay. But there is still a line that you can't cross, which is you just can't take things from other people and not attribute them. Yes, that's that that's right. And mm-hmm. and if you keep attributing all the way back for the past thousand years, that attribution itself gets pretty kludgy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go to Aaron in Detroit. Aaron, welcome to Detroit today. Hello, Stephen. Hey. Yeah, I think it's kind of absurd that this is what we're talking about. Did she plagiarize this speech? Well, probably, but we have a nominee with no serious policy, no political experience. He says something different daily. Mm-hmm. He's been embraced by racist and fascist groups. And I think it's dangerous that the media just seems to talk about the outrage du jour and then move on. I think we need to talk about the serious danger that a Trump presidency presents. Well, don't you think, I mean, don't you think that's been talked about and is being talked about? I mean, every day on the front page of the Post and the Times, there is another story about Donald Trump, uh, some dynamic or wrinkle uh, that's troubling about him, his business practices, the way he uh, deals with people, the way he uh, speaks to people. Uh, do Do you really feel like that's not being covered? There are many people who don't read the Times or the Post, and I think a Trump presidency, much like his nomination, is going to sneak up on them when they at least suspect it, and there it is, and we won't take it seriously. No, I think that's true. too late. Yeah, I think there's no question that people, some people are not paying attention, uh, but I'm not sure I would, I guess I wouldn't blame the media for that, and I certainly wouldn't say that you don't pay attention to something like this, which is also uh, a sign of uh, what kind of presidency this will be. I mean, the first lady is not uh, just a ceremonial uh, position. That's something that that we come to revere and and someone we listen to, expect to show some leadership. Uh, That person, if that person were a plagiarist, for instance, I I think that does, I guess I think that does matter. Uh, Lee, what what do you think about that? Okay, so I'm going to go back to another quote. Um, (laughs) This one from Abigail Adams. Uh It was in one of her letters to to John where she said, remember the ladies. That is the direct quote. Um, I think our first ladies have moved a long way from being ceremonial people. I think they are um, in many ways policy makers and certainly policy advisors in their own right. 
I actually think that's appropriate. I don't I don't have a problem with that. But I think that that means that as voters, as well as as journalists, we need to pay attention to them. So one of the things I would like to pay attention to is when um, Mrs. Trump said that her husband keeps his promises. I would then like journalists to go out and to examine whether or not this assertion is about his true? character is a true one. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, Lee Wilkins, uh, professor and chair of the Department of Communications at Wayne State University. Thanks, as always, for being here. All right, we'll see you soon. Uh, This has been Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I will be back next Monday, but uh, while I am gone, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of this week, Chuck Wilbur, longtime political consultant and former WDET news director, is going to sit in and co-host the show with our producers. So I will see you on Monday. Tune into the show Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and uh, I will be back. This is 1019 WDET Detroit, Wayne State's public radio station. I'll see you soon.